Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. following is a fictional story, but it makes a good point. The Navy captain was sailing and came upon a big light. He thought it was a ship coming toward him. He was the highest-ranking officer in the U.S. Navy at this particular time, so he got on a big bullhorn and said to the ship behind the light, move 10 degrees south or we're going to crash. The response was, I will not move. You move 10 degrees north so you don't crash captain was getting irritated. He said, don't you know who I am? I am a captain in the United States Navy. I say, you move 10 degrees south so we do not crash. The voice came back, I will not move. You move 10 degrees north so that you don't crash. The captain got back on the speaker and said, did you hear me say that I am a captain in the United States Navy? The voice came back, yes, but I am a lighthouse. The Word of God is our immovable, unshakable, unchanging authority for life. We must adjust our course in life to it and allow it to lead and to guide us. The study of apologetics and the archaeological evidences give encouraging confirmations to the Bible. But even without this, we know that the Bible is truth, and we know that we can trust it. The Bible changes and transforms lives, and that is the greatest evidence to the truth and reality and power of the Word of God. Matthew 2.16 reads, And then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. An archaeologist named John was digging under an ancient theater and discovered five pots of gold coins. Ecstatic, he told his lead archaeologist, Graham, I've found three pots of gold coins. Graham replied, What's that, John? You found two pots of gold coins? John said, That's what I said, one whole pot of gold coins. Many coins have been found in Israel that verify the Herods mentioned in the Bible. Herod the Great ruled from around 37 to 4 BC. He was the ruler in Israel at the time of Christ's birth. Viewing the Lord as a threat to his throne, he was the wicked ruler who tried to have Christ killed after he was born and killed all the children two years old and under in and around Bethlehem. Herod had coins made in numerous denominations. Various objects were depicted on the coins. And on one, a pomegranate is depicted, which is mentioned in the Bible as one of the blessings to the land of Israel. Deuteronomy 8, 7-8 says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey. 
The most common coins issued by Herod the Great had a Greek inscription that read King Herod. Matthew 2.22 reads, But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Following Herod the Great's death, his son Archelaus reigned from 4 B.C. to A.D. 6. He was as wicked and brutal as his father. He was such an incompetent and violent ruler that the Jews pleaded with the Romans to depose him. He was replaced with a governor appointed by Rome in A.D. 6 to rule over Judea. And later, Pontius Pilate was appointed to this position of governor. Joseph and Mary had escaped to Egypt when Herod the Great was searching for the Christ child to destroy him. After Herod the Great died, an angel directed Joseph to return to Israel. Discovering Archelaus was ruling over Judea, Joseph knew that he, Mary, and the Christ child were no safer under Archelaus than they had been under Herod the Great. Joseph's fears were confirmed by God in a dream, and God warned him to divert his path and go to Galilee. Thus, Joseph took his wife and God's son and traveled north to Nazareth in Galilee. During Archelaus' reign, he had coins created, which were engraved with his name and title. Many of them depict a bunch of grapes, which was also mentioned in Scripture as being one of the blessings to the land of Israel and served as a reminder of the productiveness of the country. Luke chapter 3, verse 1 reads, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iteria, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene. It's interesting how Luke in this verse gave a real historical framework for Christ's life and ministry. This was not a fairy tale beginning with once upon a time. Instead, Luke listed the political leaders of the regions Christ lived and served in, which can be confirmed by history. The Herod mentioned in this verse is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas ruled the region of Galilee in northern Israel during the time of Christ's ministry. He was the Herod who had John the Baptist executed. Because of Christ's powerful miracles and Herod's guilt and fears, Antipas thought that Christ was actually John raised from the dead. When the Lord was warned that this Herod wanted to kill him, I love the Lord's response. He says, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. The Lord still had work to do for a short time, and no power on earth could or would harm him until the appointed time. Later, after Christ's arrest, he was sent by Pilate to Herod Antipas, who was in Jerusalem at the time. As Pilate tried to push the matter off onto Herod Antipas, since Christ was from Galilee, Herod Antipas was disappointed that Christ didn't speak to him and that he didn't perform a miracle in his presence, so he sent him back to Pilate. Herod Antipas had coins minted as well. They were minted in four denominations. They had the Greek inscription, Herod the Tetrarch, and had wreaths and palm branches. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 read, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands 
to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of Herod the Great and the nephew of Herod Antipas. Agrippa persecuted the Jerusalem kingdom church and the apostles. He had the apostle James put to death, and because of this pleased the Jews, he had Peter thrown into prison, but Peter was miraculously delivered by an angel. Historical records tell of Agrippa's death at games which Herod celebrated in Caesarea to honor and in honor of Claudius Caesar. The crowds were dazzled by Agrippa's speech in silver garments that shined in the sun, and they proclaimed him a god. And immediately a severe violent pain arose in his belly, and he later died. Acts chapter 12, 21-23 records the same thing, but adds important details about how and why he died. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghosts. Because he made no effort to refuse their adulation of him as a God or to give glory to God, he was struck down by an angel with worms. Herod Agrippa I had coins created, and was one of the few Jewish rulers to mint coins bearing his own image. A common coin of his was inscribed with King Agrippa in Greek and showed three years of barley between two leaves with the year. One rare coin of his had a portrait of Agrippa and his son Agrippa II on horseback. Acts twenty-five thirteen to 14 reads, And after certain days King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There's a certain man left in bonds by Felix. Agrippa II was the last ruler of the Herodian dynasty. In 66 AD, he issued a coin showing his own bust on one side with the Greek inscription, King Agrippa. Here in Acts 25, King Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice came to Caesarea to congratulate Festus on his new appointment as governor. Festus brought up the matter of Paul to Agrippa, a prisoner that had been left in bonds by his predecessor Felix. Agrippa was intrigued and requested to have Paul brought before him to speak to him. And before King Agrippa, Paul shared his past experiences of being a persecutor of the church, but then being struck down on the Damascus road by the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and then being sent by him to all people, as the Lord told him, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. At the end of Paul's testimony, Acts 26, 28, sadly reads, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. All these Herods were real men and rulers, as evidenced by the teaching and truth of Scripture, and confirmed by the many coins discovered made by each of them. Flavius Josephus was born in Jerusalem around 37 AD. He died around the year 100. His father was a priest and his mother was of royal descent. He was a Jewish historian. 
His works provide a significant and independent extra-biblical source of first-century Jewish history. His greatest works are Jewish Antiquities, written in A.D. 94, in which he gives Jewish history from the creation to the start of the Great War with Rome in A.D. 66. And his work, Jewish War, though written first in A.D. 75, carries the record on to the destruction of Jerusalem and the fall of Masada in A.D. 73. In his writings, Josephus mentions many people and places in the Bible. Jesus Christ, James, Herod the Great, Pontius Pilate, King Agrippa, the Galatians, Jericho, Jerusalem, Judea, the Sanhedrin, Sadducees, Tiberius Caesar, the Samaritans, and so on. Here's what he wrote about John the Baptist. Now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God and was a very just punishment for what he did against John called the Baptist. For Herod had him killed, although he was a good man and had urged the Jews to exert themselves to virtue, both as to justice toward one another and reverence towards God. And though it is a hotly contested and challenged quote by scholars, here's what he wrote about Jesus Christ. About this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was the achiever of extraordinary deeds and was a teacher of those who accept the truth gladly. He went over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. When he was indicted by the principal men among us and Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him originally did not cease to do so. For he appeared to them on the third day, restored to life, as the prophets of the deity had foretold these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Baptism and the Bible is a 136-page paperback book written by Cornelius R. Stam, founder of Berean Bible Society. There is no other subject that has caused more confusion in the church than water baptism. Since God is not the author of confusion, the problem unquestionably lies with a faulty system of interpretation. Pastor Stam isolates the problem in this work and presents a simple solution to the matter that the church has overlooked for generations. To order your copy, contact Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at BereanBibleSociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now... Back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8 read, The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, 
The flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. A voice, which is the voice of the Lord, told Isaiah here to cry out to Israel and contrast the difference between God and man. People are like grass and flowers that come up in the springtime only to fade and fail and wither away. Humanity is transitory and temporary. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. By contrast, God and His Word never fails, and it stands and endures forever. Josh McDowell wrote, Written on material that perishes, having to be copied and recopied for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press, did not diminish its style, correctness, nor existence. The Bible, compared with other ancient writings, has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. The New Testament manuscripts are better preserved and more numerous than any other ancient writings. Because they are so numerous, they can be cross-checked for accuracy, and they are very consistent. There are presently 5,686 Greek manuscripts in existence today, for the New Testament, dated from 100 to 300 years after the originals were written. If we were to compare the number of New Testament manuscripts to other ancient writings, we find that the number of New Testament manuscripts far outweighs the others in quantity. There are thousands more New Testament Greek manuscripts than any other ancient writing, And the gap between the original writing and the copies is also far less. The New Testament, though, is frequently called into question by critics and unbelievers. But Homer's Iliad is an ancient work that is rarely ever called into question. Homer's Iliad was written around 900 B.C. The earliest copy of it is 400 B.C. B.C. That's a 500-year gap, and there are only 643 copies. Aristotle's Ode to Poetics was written between 384 and 322 B.C. The earliest copy of this work dates to A.D. 1100, and there are only 49 manuscripts. The gap between the original writing and the earliest copy is 1,400 years. Plato's Tetralogies was written somewhere between 427 and 347 B.C. The earliest copy is A.D. 900, a gap of over 1,200 years. There are only seven surviving manuscripts. Only ten copies of the writings of Caesar, along with another 20 copies of the Roman historian Tacitus, and seven copies from the Roman historian Pliny who all originally wrote in the 1st century A.D., have found their way to the 21st century. But when we consider the New Testament, however, we find a completely different scenario. The New Testament was written in the 1st century A.D., I believe between 40 and 70 A.D. The earliest copy is in the 2nd century A.D. It's just a hundred-year gap, and there are five 1,686 copies. So the bottom line is there was no great period between the events of the New Testament and the New Testament writings. 
nor is there a great time lapse between the original writings and the oldest copies. Charlie Campbell wrote this in 1947, a 12-year-old Arab boy made one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of all time. While looking for a lost goat in Qumran, near the Dead Sea, he threw a stone into a cave and heard the sound of shattering pottery. Curious about the noise, he entered the cave and found a collection of large clay jars containing carefully wrapped leather manuscripts. What this boy stumbled upon was an ancient collection of handwritten copies of the Old Testament that dated as far back as the 3rd century B.C. After word of the discovery got out, Bedouin treasure hunters and archaeologists unearthed tens of thousands of additional scroll fragments from the nearby caves. The Dead Sea Scrolls are a collection of over 100,000 fragments of text written on parchment, papyrus, and even copper that scholars have pieced together into 972 texts from the Hebrew Bible and other non-biblical documents. They were found between 1947 and 1956 on the northwest shore of the Dead Sea in 11 caves. The Dead Sea Scrolls have been called the greatest manuscript discovery of modern times. They are approximately 2,000 years old, dating from the 3rd century B.C. to the 1st century A.D. Most of the scrolls were written in Hebrew, with a smaller number in Aramaic or Greek. Included in the discovery was an impressive 24-foot scroll found relatively intact containing the book of Isaiah. Partial or complete copies of nearly every book of the Old Testament were found in Hebrew. Only the book of Esther was not found, but it is mentioned in some of the other Dead Sea Scrolls, so we know the Jews at Qumran were familiar with it and likely had it. Some thought the find would produce some long-lost books of the Bible, but instead the find verified the Old Testament books just as we have them. Our Bibles are translated from ancient manuscript copies of the Bible. Critics of the Bible have long said that because the Bible has been translated and copied so many times down through hundreds and thousands of years that we can't trust what it says and what it said originally. Scholars imagine that our earliest Hebrew manuscripts of the Bible before the scroll's discovery were likely riddled with scribal errors and editorial changes. Prior to discovering the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest manuscripts of the Old Testament that we had were from around 800 A.D. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they dated back to the 2nd or 3rd century B.C. Because of the nearly 1,000-year difference, critics were sure and they thought that these scrolls would show major corrections and changes to our Old Testament, but instead what they found was that they were nearly identical to the Hebrew text used for our Old Testament in our Bibles. The differences they found were primarily variances in spelling or the addition or subtraction of a conjunction. This shows the great care that was taken by the scribes who copied the scriptures down through the centuries. The absolute accuracy of the Old Testament was supported by these finds. 
All the texts of the hundreds of manuscripts found absolutely verified our Old Testament. It shows that God has preserved His Word and that you can trust your Bible. 19th century writer H.L. Hastings once forcibly illustrated the unique way in which the Bible has withstood the attacks of its skeptics. Infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, and yet it stands today as solid rock. Its circulation increases, and it is more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels, with all their assaults, make about as much impression on this book as a man man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. When the French monarch proposed the persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. So the hammers of infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. If this book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and popes, kings and priests, princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. They die, and the book still lives. No other book has been so chopped, knived, sifted, scrutinized, and vilified. What book on philosophy or religion or psychology or Bell's letters of classical or modern times has been subject to such a mass attack as the Bible? With such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition, upon every chapter, line and tenet. Yet the Bible is still loved by millions and studied by millions. You can trust the Bible. You can read it with confidence, knowing that this is the very Word of God. You can trust it when it comes to the people, the places, the events that it mentions, and you can trust it fully when it tells you that God loves you and Christ died for you. We know, we trust that God's Son, He came to this world 2,000 years ago, took on flesh, and like the Bible says, He lived a sinless, perfect life. He was crucified at the cross. He took our sins upon Himself, paid for the penalty For all our sins, so we could be forgiven, reconciled to God, delivered from an eternity of suffering in hell. We can trust the Bible when it says that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and that He rose again from the dead. And through Christ, and trusting Christ alone, we have the hope of eternal life. We can trust that, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. By faith alone, trusting that Christ died for us and rose again, we have the free gift of salvation and the sure hope of heaven by the grace of God. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.